Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. The mission of Vows to Keep is to help couples develop a biblically healthy marriage through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. They desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now, here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. Several years ago, a piece of paper was put into my hands that has become a great resource for me, both personally, in my life, in my relationships, but also in ministry. So picture this, printed in black and white as a circle. It's a wheel with varying layers made to represent the spiritual life cycle of a person. While the focus is the spiritual life cycle of a Christian, the stages are not unlike the physical stages that people go through. The circle is divided into five major slices, each which represent a stage that is progressed through in a clockwise direction. Think about it this way. You go from not being alive to being an infant, to being a toddler, to being a child, to being a young adult, to being a grown-up. So the first slice of the wheel, we see the category of spiritually dead. These are the people that are physically alive, but they're not alive spiritually. And that's all of us without Christ, where we were before we became believers. We were lost without faith in Him. We had no hope no life. Now, this is the stage that we need someone to come alongside us to share the gospel with us. And when we learn about Jesus, if we choose, we can accept him as our savior. And then everything is different. We become born again. We've got a new life in Christ. As we begin our spiritual life, we begin to make our way around this wheel, which represents the stages of our spiritual growth. In the second slice of this circle, we see the infant stage where we need to be spoon-fed, if you will, the Word of God. If you've got kids, you remember the baby food feeding phase, right? The high chairs, the bibs, the little spoons, it's getting spit out of their mouths. Do you remember that, Tracy? Well, the baby grows up and begins to walk on their own. I can remember my daughter Autumn's first shaky steps. Still an infant, I remember when she learned to hold her own bottle. This is a season in our spiritual life where we learn. It's a time where we actually begin to develop new habits. Remember when they first started sleeping through the night? Oh, it was wonderful. Yeah. As a spiritual infant, though, you are still very ignorant to many of the things that God would want you to know how to apply in your life. We're babies. We need nourishment so we can grow. This is really made clear in 1 Peter 2.2. And this is an admonishment for us. It says, like newborn babies... You must crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. So in this stage, as we learn from and digest God's word, we no longer remain in offense. We become children. And that's the third slice of this wheel that we're having you picture in your mind right now. Children connecting to God, we're connecting to others, maybe for the first time on a real meaningful level beginning to see how we can take part in God's purpose for our lives. Living out our faith takes people. Because before that point as infants, we didn't really know or or even care that someone smiled at us. It didn't register. But now we recognize relationships involve other people. I liken this to when my kids started to help with doing the dishes. I mean, first they would clear the table as like a four or five-year-old, and they would beam as we praise them for not breaking the plates and not breaking the cups on the way from the table to the sink. This is a stage full of growing and connecting. And as a mom, I remember the love I felt with my kids growing by leaps and bounds because we could connect in new ways. But make no mistake, this stage spiritually is still characterized often 
by selfishness and immaturity, we still need to be taught in this stage. We're growing as Christians. This stage can be characterized by tantrums, fits of anger, tears, yelling, all that happens in kids when they don't get their way. And they happen in childlike Christians who are full-grown adults as well. I've been there. Unfortunately, it's in this stage of growth that many Christians become stuck by not truly seeking to know God and by not using his word in times of trouble, we fail to be doers of the word. We instead hover in the self-centered world, never crossing the border to transition from children to young adults in our spiritual walk. And if we stay in the childlike stage of our spiritual walk, we can't transition into a life of intentional kingdom work that God has prepared in advance for us to do. In this state, your future in heaven is secure because you're a child of God and you always will be, but you're frustrated constantly by how being a Christian doesn't make life as easy as you thought it would. Assuming, however, that a person does read God's word and they, they do apply it to life, they progress into the territory of a spiritual young adult. This is where your daily Christian walk matures to the point that your life is characterized by God-centeredness and even others-centered service. This is a stage where a husband is actually excited to minister to his family, where a wife is excited to see her role as helpmate as an honor. As a young adult, we become mobilized for Christ. Do you remember getting your driver's license, Tracy? Boy, do I ever. As long as there was gas in the tank of my truck, I thought I could go anywhere and do anything. Eventually, however, we have to grow up spiritually to the point that we begin to take seriously the call to become a discipler. And this is that final slice in the circle. This is where strategic and intentional interactions with those around you are all about teaching unbelievers and then helping those spiritual infants to become children and even the young adults to become spiritual parents themselves. This is what it means to be spiritually mature, loving parents with a purpose for God's kingdom. No, you're not done in your own spiritual walk, but you do realize that to be a parent, you've got to have a heart for others. You've got to have biblical knowledge, and then you need diligent action to back all of this up. With this circle divided into five segments, where would you categorize your spiritual life condition? Are you spiritually dead? Are you someone who doesn't know Christ? Or are you a believer, but you know spiritually you need more milk than solid food, just like an infant would? Maybe you're a child, angry, frustrated even when you're not in control. Are you continuing to grow as a spiritual young adult? Or maybe you're even a spiritual parent, so to speak, someone who is intentionally pouring in to other people's lives. Where are you at in this wheel? Now, after you've considered that, I'd like to ask you this question. Where do you see your spouses at in that wheel? We are not just picking on you today, I promise. David and I have had to evaluate ourselves on this as well. It's actually a good assessment to do periodically, to pull back the lens and assess where we're at spiritually. When I first saw this wheel and I considered the biblical truth behind this visual aid, I could pinpoint pretty close to where I thought I was if I evaluated myself honestly, but really more easily I could see where I wasn't and therefore where I really needed to go. It was actually very empowering for me to see the potential of where I could be in my spiritual walk. Taking this concept to heart, I could see that God had blessings in store for me as I grew up in my salvation, and I was actually robbing myself of the abundant life as I stagnated in my infant or childlike state. Every week when I sit down to write Vows to Keep Radio, 
I give it a title. This week I titled it Sanctification, that growth process that we have with the Lord. It's an ongoing journey. We know that as Christians, and it's going to go on for the rest of our life until we pass from this life into the next. Now, when I write these shows for Vows to Keep Radio, some of them are finished, some of them are half finished, some of them are unfinished. And when I first began this show, I had to hit save pretty soon in the writing. So I put in parentheses, unfinished right after the word sanctification. When my husband saw that and he went ahead and finished the show with me, he was going to erase it and he thought, wait a second, how true is it that we leave this word in here? So we actually have titled the show today, Sanctification Unfinished, because that's what you and I each are in our lives. God is not done with us yet. No matter where we're at on that spiritual life cycle circle that we're having you picture today, God has growth in store for us. Here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to imagine an older lady. She's in her 80s and she goes to church every Sunday. In fact, she's been going for over 60 years. Same pew, same Bible that you and I both read, same songs, same Jesus. Yet this woman is still drinking spiritual milk like an infant. She is a hearer of the word, but she's not much of a doer. She's not grown more than maybe a couple inches spiritually over all these years. There's not a lot of fruit to show. She throws tantrums when her food is too cold in the restaurant. She lacks the patience it takes to have an opinion and keep it to herself. She uses the pain others cause in her life to be a platform for negativity and complaining. Now I want you to imagine a 13-year-old boy. By the time he was six and a half years old, he had read the Bible all the way through. He's been leading long, thawed-out family devotions since he was nine. Last week, he led a group of grown men at a Bible study breakfast. Both of the people that I've just told you about today, they're actually real. Both of these people have passed from death to life in Christ Jesus because they've given their hearts to God. They're sealed for eternity. Both are sinners, and in many ways, they're the same. But despite the differences in their ages, there are vast differences in their walk with the Lord. Now, this boy is not more spiritual or more accepted by Christ because of the fruit in his life, nor is the older woman looked down upon by God because of her lack of growth. All the stages on this wheel, except that of the unbeliever, are a representation of the process of sanctification in the Christian's life. God did not intend for us to remain spiritual infants, and we know that no infant can instantly become a spiritual adult just by wishing it for himself. I talk to far too many husbands who wish with all the hopes in the world that they were spiritually leading their homes, but they don't understand how to get from here to there. They want to go from an infant to an adult in one short step. They see that their wife is is actually farther ahead in her spiritual journey, and they find it hopeless to even try to catch up. False expectations like this are trappings for so many husbands. Rather, we grow up in Christ. You know, it has to happen. It takes time. And in fact, it takes a lot of it. Truth be told, since a pastor can be a great speaker, but actually potentially be a spiritual infant, and a child who's six years old or 13 years old can have wisdom beyond his years, since a wife who claims Christ as her savior can be full of anger and rage, and a new believer can affect others' lives dramatically. We simply cannot wait for time to pass and hope that that somehow magically is going to cause us to mature in our Christian walk. It doesn't work like that. Thankfully, though, once you're married, you're no longer 
and the sanctification process alone. In this two-part series titled Sanctification Unfinished, we're going to do some theological digging, some delving, and even defining into some words like salvation, justification, sanctification, and adoption. As we walk through these biblical truths, we're not only going to gain an understanding of our position in Christ, but we will more accurately understand our Savior and His heart for you and I. And when we've got these two things firmly in hand, we will see the people that God has put in our lives, like our spouses, even our children, with new eyes, with a new and compassionate heart of hope for them, for ourselves, and for our marriage relationship. And then we're going to examine the critical part that God is asking us to play in our spouse's process of spiritual growth. Now, I believe when we really grasp and understand these theological concepts, our marriages are going to begin to change for the better. Our marriages will be built on a stronger foundation. And together we begin to look more like our Savior in a world which desperately needs to see God-like love. As it says in 1 Peter 2, just after it speaks of growing up in our salvation, like we read earlier, it says, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God's word reminds us here, once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. When we receive God's mercy, that is when we become Christians, we become a chosen people, the people of God. And one of the amazing things we want you to grasp or perhaps remember anew today is that God's mercies are new to you right now. They're fresh, they're present, and they're right here. For the sin you committed this morning or the one you'll commit in an hour from now, God's mercies are new for you. His grace is ever-present, not because you are further on the wheel than your spouse and not because of your righteous deeds. God's mercies are new because you have been adopted as sons and daughters by the Most High God. You've been made heirs with Christ and children of God when you placed your faith in Jesus' work on the cross for you. You know what? I sin every single day. I'm prideful and selfish. I'm a glutton and an idolater. All of the good things I do in the name of Jesus could never, ever in a million years purchase for me what I want. That's eternal life. The wages of my sin and your sin are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life, eternal mercies only in Jesus Christ, our Lord. You, my friend, are invited to come to the altar of God every day of your life for that grace and mercy that you so desperately need. But only one time do you approach the altar with the requests of salvation and adoption only once, because now that Jesus has been made the perfect sacrifice, that's all we need. Hebrews 10.10 says that we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. After you place your faith in Jesus, now you come to that altar with something different in mind. You come to the altar every day in relationship with God, humbling yourself before him, this time asking him to teach you, 
to train you, to discipline you so that you mirror his heart, his actions, and his attitude in your own life. You come desiring that sanctification that only he can provide. You come to him desiring change at the heart level. And that's when you begin to grow like never before. God sees and God knows all. He knows the condition of your heart right now. He knows the condition of my heart. He knows that neither one of us is righteous. Not one of us listening today is righteous. Yet he looks upon those of us who believe in Jesus, not as sinners condemned to pay that death penalty. No, he looks upon us through the lens of the sacrifice that was paid for us, Jesus Christ. He sees us standing before him with the righteousness of Christ. He sees you and I as justified if we've accepted his son as our savior. Romans chapter five, this is in verse one. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You see, we enter into a relationship with God through adoption and justification. It's a finished deal. That relationship cannot be revoked. It can't be taken away from you. But here's the question. Do we see our spouse from this vantage point? In their worst, most ugly sin that affects us so deeply, do we see our spouse as someone who's on the potter's wheel, ready to be shaped if they submit to the master's hand in their life? This is a crucial lens with which to view our spouse, especially in the tough moments of our marriage, remembering who they are and where God wants to take them in their spiritual growth, in their sanctification process that's yet unfinished. Remembering who we are without Christ and where God is leading us in our unfinished sanctification process. And remembering that God wants to use us as an instrument of change in their life. If you're a Christian, maybe you can even pinpoint what, like I'm going to, a point in your life in which you stayed a person who was saved but didn't grow. For me, I have to confess, I had been there for almost 10 years before I began to really see that sanctification was a process I needed. And it wasn't just me, actually. Many of my peers in my youth group, well, we were kind of in the same spot. I gave my life to the Lord at the age of 11, but I went into seasons of spiritual procrastinating, even through a few seasons of backsliding until one day I was challenged with a question. How did my spiritual life compare with its potential? The person who asked me this was someone who was mentoring me. They were a spiritual parent, but I didn't even know that they were looking at me with that kind of a lens because it was at that time that I knew I was saved, but I had really hardly even begun the trip on the road toward Christlikeness. At the time of our belief in Christ, we enter into a lifelong process called sanctification. To be sanctified means we're set apart. It means we're holy. God knows there's a battle going on within us. It's between the spirit of God who now lives inside of us and the sinful will of our flesh. So he looks on us with eyes of a loving father, a daddy who's adopted us, not just so we could have the family name, not to just be called a kid of the king, but to actually have his guiding hand on our lives, changing us little by little to look like him. It's a process which involves teaching, assessing, discipline, love, patience, and all of that in great abundance. Consider where you've pegged yourself on this wheel and your spouse in the spiritual maturity process. 
picture that right now in your mind. Does your spouse see you as someone who's guiding their lives towards spiritual maturity? Or do they see you as someone just drifting in the same stagnated waters as they are? Are you moving towards sanctification, even pulling your spouse with you with love? You see, just like how God views us, that's how we need to view our spouse. This marriage isn't just to share a last name together. It's to change us little by little to look like Christ. We should look at our spouse with a heart of love that longs for the best for them spiritually as much as in any other area. Right before it talks about growing up in our salvation, like we read earlier today in 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 1, the very chapter preceding that, points to this process of change that we're all in. It says, prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Christ Jesus is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children, it says. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. God, through the Holy Spirit who lives in us, is teaching us to say no to our sinful natures and to say yes to him and his ways. Oh man, how much our Heavenly Father just longs to take you from what you were to everything he has for you. A pure heart, a willing spirit, a gracious tongue, a peaceful mind, a blessed home, a united marriage, a joyful hope. And those are just a few of the places he has for you and for I to tread in this life. These and more are the abundant life that is offered to you and I through Christ. You see, these are actually an earthly foretaste of the heavenly blessing we have yet to even lay our eyes on. They're ours by rights as a child of God, but they will not be forced upon you. So why do some marriages flourish, even though you've got two sinners that make up that union? Why do some relationships seem doomed? Why is it easy to shout in anger or to selfishly tuck yourself away from your spouse? Why does it seem that sometimes we look more and more like the world as Christians and less and less like we're called? You see, God's purpose for you is, according to Romans 8, 29, to conform you into the image of his son. Think about that. It's his divine purpose for your husband or your wife to do the same thing. If you feel God has left you alone in your marriage with no growth or change in sight, let me point you today to John chapter 17, a special place in God's word where Jesus literally prays for believers. He prays for you and me, my husband and yours. In verse 17, he says, Make them holy, Father, by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Or if you read this in the NIV, it says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Here we see Jesus' heart to sanctify us, to make us more like himself. So take a moment to see what God has planned for you as you grow in him. How will he use you in your spouse's growth and sanctification? Not sure if you're there yet? Ask yourself if you have a pure heart, a willing spirit, a gracious tongue, a peaceful mind, a Christ-centered home, a united marriage, and a joyful hope. It always seems there's more to say than time to say it. To that point, if you're not where you need to be on the sanctification journey yet, be sure to catch part two of our series titled Sanctification Unfinished, 
where we will take a deep look into how marriage is a crucible for sanctification. You're listening to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. Vows to Keep wants to help. If you have a marriage question, please email questions at vowstokeep.com. It's our prayer each week to bring biblical truth for your marriage with the hope that God would actually rule your marriage. We want to extend a heartfelt thank you to those who are already giving to this ministry each month. Did you know that Vows to Keep does more than a weekly radio program? We offer biblical marriage counseling for couples as well, regardless of a couple's financial ability. Consider times where you have received help with no ability to repay. This is the case for many couples who come to Vows to Keep. If you've derived benefit from this ministry, we would like to ask for your help to sustain and further extend the blessing for godly marriages. In order to continue to do what we're doing, we would like to ask for your support of $25 a month. To donate securely today, click the donate button at VowsToKeep.com. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.